Hello, Linux fans, and welcome to another episode of Destination Linux, where we cover Linux news, reviews, and anything else that may be fun or interesting in the Linux world. And I'm Rocco, and this is episode 14 of Destination Linux. Hi, Rob. Hello, Rocco. How are you? Oh, man. What's going on today, brother? Well, I am battling Wi-Fi issues. So uh, in the last episode, you know, I was talking about Manjaro and it being on the family PC, and everything seems fine. Right. But now I'm having these weird issues where uh, periodically, well, not periodically now, every time, but sporadically, the Wi-Fi just disconnects. And, right. Uh, and so I'll type the Wi-Fi security code back in and wait and wait and kind of hold my breath. And sometimes it connects, sometimes it doesn't. And the weird thing is, Rocco, I'll I'll boot in, fresh boot, and uh, it'll pull up fine um, one time and connect. And then 15 minutes later, disconnect. But then maybe I'll do a reboot the next time, and it'll pull in and sit there and just spin and spin and spin trying to connect. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll say that, uh, you know, that could be a Manjaro issue, but it could be just a Wi-Fi issue in general because I've been having not similar Wi-Fi issues, but just Wi-Fi in general. Like when I go to suspend the computer, I will have it to where when I come back, it'll ask for the password again, mm. and. I'll put the password in no matter how many times I put the password in, it will not connect. It'll just sit there and spin and spin. The only way to fix the issue is to reboot the computer. Oh, bummer. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's frustrating <laughs> when, when every time you go to suspend and I could not put it to spend suspend, but there's certain reasons why I do. And if I got to reboot the computer every time I go to suspend, that may be a problem. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, well, it's just, it's more aggravating than anything. I mean, eventually it'll connect, but, you know, it just, it's one of those things. If you've, you know, you've just got to jump on and, and pull something out of the cloud to print, for example. Right. Um, you know, it, it could wind up costing you some time. I don't know. I've got to read into the forums. I'll check into uh, everything I can to see. The weird thing is, okay, and I haven't had updates. The weird thing is, is it's been fine, and it's just like out of the blue this has started happening. So that's where you scratch your head and say, all right, what, what's going on? You know, is it something I installed? Well, there haven't been any major updates. I haven't had any. No, maybe, I don't. Maybe I, I don't need remember to. having them. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I mean, Intergos is actually pretty good on the updates, but um, – it hasn't had any major Wi-Fi updates as far as or network updates that I know of. So I'm having issues. So it may not just be you, man. Or maybe, maybe. And you haven't had any uh, luck with getting it installed. No, not as of yet. No. Okay. Well, we'll keep we'll keep on you about that, man. But you know what's great, Rob? What's that? The Telegram group. The Telegram oh, yeah. group. The people that we have in there, the guys and girls, are pretty much awesome, and they they have banter back and forth with each other but 
a lot of them will post links to news articles. And uh, a couple of them, and forgive me if I miss any, but Alan and Acid Monkey, they've been posting a lot of different articles on there. And one of the articles that came out of this is Star Citizen. Have you heard of it? Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay, so Star Citizen is a MMO game, which is absolutely huge. And it is a crowdfunded project. And the big news is they are planning on supporting Vulcan only. Yeah, this is huge. This is huge news. Now, you know, obviously I don't own Star Citizen, but you can purchase it through a starter pack from the uh, crowdfunding page. And Rob, this says that it is the most funded crowdfunding project ever with $39 million pledged. That is awesome. That is, it's phenomenal. And that should get the attention of a lot of game developers to see that, you know, this is going to be focused for Linux and has this kind of backing should be a real eye opener for developers. Well, it should get the ball rolling. Let's put it that way. I mean, it will be out of the box support for Linux. Um, and like I said, their their intention is their their intention used to be to support you know DX12, but they're going with a Vulcan only because Vulcan can um, pretty much compare to DX12 and keep up the same pace and still have the open APIs. And I mean, I looked at this game and it is just massive. I mean, you can play as a uh, a starfighter, you can explore worlds, you can play the FPS shooter part of it um you can get a couple friends together and you know jump in a a starship and go to go battle other people i mean this game is absolutely amazing and to see it to see a game of this size this magnitude go for vulcan only and have linux support this is what could what we've been talking about for weeks about getting companies on the ball with uh having it support Linux out of the box. This could be it. This could be the start of it. Now, it's available right now for like the um, starter purchase or whatever, and they're kind of working on it as you go. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the starter pack gives you access to everything that they have at the moment, with the exception of you can do... Okay. Well, let's start out with that. The starter pack gives you everything that they can have. You can play any of the game modules that they have, but it's a continual working process where they're always updating it and adding new things to it. So they're looking at it as like an alpha, beta type thing, but you can actually play the game and then give feedback on the game itself. And then if you wanted to support more, you could do add-ons like specific ships that aren't available in the game. They'll be available in the full game, but right now you could buy them and you know actually that would actually support the game more. Well, I... I may just have to figure out something there, get a little uh, of that you know, money that's burning a hole in my pocket. And, <laughs> well, my issue is going to be this. I'm My guess is, is I'm going to need a fairly substantial system to play this, to really get the benefits. Because looking at YouTube, this play, the, the world is massive. The graphics are top-notch. Uh, the, the graphics are top-notch, man. Yeah there's some scenes of the flyovers over the worlds, over the planets. Right. And it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, uh, so it definitely go check that out on YouTube, but also 
I imagine that this is going to be fairly graphics heavy, and I haven't read into any minimum specs or anything like that. Yeah, I was actually trying to look for the uh, minimum specs for it. I guess I should have had that beforehand, but <laughs> but hey, now's my excuse to build a to build a new gaming rig, a new gaming box. There you go. <laughs> but it looks like a lot of fun, man. Well, let's uh, definitely keep our eye on this one, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll see you guys online playing one day. So yeah be fun well there's a little more news rocco related to um one of our uh favorite desktops which is mate uh so mate 1.18 has been released it's gone through six months of development and a lot of what this release about rocco is taking things uh over to gtk3 yep and, and so you know that's the next progression with Pretty well, any GTK-based desktop is kind of migrating over and having having everything under uh, under three. There's also uh, updates and added support for mouse and touchpad, improved accessibility support. Uh, the Kaja file manager has added some new features. Uh, so you've got a copy queue, uh, copy pausing, um, ask for confirmation before moving files to the trash, uh, support for back forward mouse buttons for uh, directory navigation and then notification when um, ejected drives are safe to unplug. And it's nice to see those uh, features added into the Kaja file manager. It's um, it, it definitely of, needed like some yeah. of those features, especially the back and forward mouse buttons. Yeah. I mean, that's what I use a lot of and uh, it's definitely a good update. I can tell you that. Yeah. And I, I think that, this will get them once they're over to GTK three. I think some of the other things, some of the visual side of things, some polish and that kind of thing will start to come into play and, and be more of a focus now that they've made that transition over. So, well, Rob, um, Solus users will be able to get Mate 1.18 and the Linux kernel 4.9.16, I believe here. Nice. They just announced that, um, <clears throat> they, <clears throat> Excuse me. They just announced that they uh, are putting it in the Solus repositories, and they also announced that uh, Budgie ten point three is coming soon. So it should be released in the next week or two. Yeah, we're gonna have to dig into that deeper. That's one I'm kind of really keeping my eye on because as some of these updates come through, and you know, there's a lot going on with Solus right now, and as that kind of gets to a stage where it's like ready to jump in with both feet, I'm I'm gonna do that. Yep. Well, Rob, I don't want to go too long on the news because we have an interview with somebody. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. So we had sat down and talked with Joe Resington from the Late Night Linux Show podcast. Uh, he also has his own website uh, as a musician. And, well, He's let's get to talking to him. Yeah, I look forward to it. He's a talented guy and been involved in Linux for some time. So I uh, look forward to this conversation. All right, let's do it. Hello, Joe. What's going on, man? Uh, not too much, man. Not too much. Thanks for having me on the show. Love having you on the show, brother. Um, so you are with the Late Night Linux podcast. Yes. And you've been podcasting for a while. So tell us about it. Yeah, so I've been listening to podcasts for nearly 10 years now, I think, and I, I don't know if it I don't know if it says um good things or bad things about the podcast that I was listening to, but I always felt like I could do that 
you know you listen to podcasts and you think yeah i could have a go at that um and my my background's kind of as a musician um and so i've got the audio equipment that seems to be quite a common theme among podcasters that they were musicians once upon a time and so they know about audio and have good microphones and stuff like that um and i i tried to get a, a podcast off the ground with a friend of mine in germany but that didn't work out um and then um, I found a guy who's heavily into uh, Apple stuff. Um, and we, we bonded over our common ground of hatred of Windows, basically. <laughs> um, and so I would always go on about Linux. He'd always go on about Macs. Um, uh, that was very much not safe for work. We swore like dockers on that show. It was called the Mind Tech Podcast. But he was in LA and I'm in London. And the eight-hour time difference just got the better of us in the end. Um, his circumstances changed and it just, we couldn't find a time to do it. So we had to stop doing that. But in the meantime, I'd also started guest hosting on um, Mintcast, which uh, is a podcast uh, by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux is the the tagline on that one. Right. And um, uh, so I was kind of guest hosting that for a while. Then I drifted more into being a regular host of it. Um, And then, so this is all sort of concurrent. Um, then I started Linux Luddites um, with a guy called Paddy, and uh, we ended up doing that for three years, three and a bit years. Right. Um, and then Paddy couldn't do that anymore. And in the meantime, Jesse had joined us. And then uh, when that came to the its end at the end of 2016, um, when we knew that was going to happen, and we, we we'd kind of talked about it for a while. Um, and we were hoping to get to get to 100 episodes, but we got to 94 or something, which is wow. really, really <laughs> annoying. Because I'd, I'd titled the episodes um, episode 001 like, in anticipation of getting to 100, and it was right. just really annoying. Um, and then, so then uh, Jesse and I were talking, you know, who are we going to get on board? Because we didn't want to do the show just the two of us. Um, and we thought that it wasn't really fair to call it Linux Luddites because that's... Um, I'd started that with Paddy and it was kind of our thing and um, we we wanted a fresh start basically and so the the obvious choice to me was Ike Doherty because um, not only is he really knowledgeable about Linux and runs his own distro and is a key part of Intel's internal distro clear Linux so he really knows his stuff but he also happens to be really funny and entertaining yeah. and a good laugh, basically. Yeah, I know you've, you've had him on your show, haven't you? And he's a, he's a good good crack, as they say, in um, in Ireland. And um, But then I was talking to Jesse about, um, you know, who else could complete the lineup? And we were thinking someone who knows a bit about the Android side of things and, you know, specifically the kind of Googleless Android would be good. And then um, it just occurred to me, Phelan Whiteley, who we'd had, we'd met at Og Camp. Uh, camp, which is the, the t-shirt I'm wearing now. Um, <laughs> and uh, then we'd had him on the show to talk about how he, he runs just, um, well, back then, Signage and Mod, now Lineage, with no Google stuff. Um, and the fact that he also happens to be Irish was just a coincidence, really. <laughs> and so now we're sort of half UK, half Irish. And um, yeah, so uh, it's ended up, really, that that's the only podcast that I'm doing at the moment. Um, apart from you know little guest stuff like this and occasional guest spots on the Ubuntu podcast when they've got no one to uh, you know host that uh, no one to be the fourth host for that. Joe, I got to ask you if uh, you ever uh, talked with the guys from Linux Outlaws because that was one of my favorite podcasts for the longest time. Yeah, well, um, I met them at Ogcamp uh, Ogcamp in 2012, I think. Um, Fab, and, Fab and um, 
Fab and Dan, yeah. Dan, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, at Ocamp, I think it was 12, or might have even been 11. It was the one that was in Farnham, for anyone who can remember. <coughs> um, uh, Dan was playing his guitar um, at this kind of after party. And um, I had said to him, oh, do you mind if I sing a couple of songs? And um, and so I, I got, they had no idea whether I was going to be any good or not. And um, so I went on and, and did a couple of songs. And Fab was really impressed by it it seems and um so then we kind of hit it off after then and then i became a kind of friend of the show as it were and they played some of my music and, and everything and then when fab moved to london um because the h online it was called the h um which was the english version of heiser for um heiser's the company he now works for it's like a, a, sort of like I, I don't suppose it has an equivalent really but kind of like cnet or something like that. it's a huge tech um, magazine and website in germany and it was their english they tried to do it in London for a while and it didn't work out because everyone used ad blockers, basically, um, right. including me. It was a great site. It was a real shame when it shut down. But anyway, when he, when he moved to London, um, one, of, one of the first things I did was go around to his, um, his flat and had a drink with him and stuff. So that was good. Um, and, you, you know, we went out a few times. But then just suddenly out of nowhere, he had to move back to Germany, which was uh, unfortunate. But at least... Um, at least he gets to be a bit closer to his wife. But yeah, so I've, I was very, um, yeah, I'm good friends with both of them. And unfortunately, Dan now has had some health issues that's right. kind of prevented him from doing stuff. And, uh, and now they're doing Geek News Radio, which is um, too much about games for my money, I'm afraid. No, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't, that's the one thing that um, everyone asks me about games on Linux, and I just have no interest really in games. Well, those guys were both instrumental in uh, helping me to properly dislike Windows. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I thought Windows does a good enough job of that on its own, doesn't it? <laughs> a lot of people are forced to use it, but I, I don't. And I, I know very few people who actually like Windows. They, they might say, "Oh, I have to have it for games, or I have to have it for work and exchange servers and stuff like that." But in terms of actual enjoyment of it, I, I think there are very few people. Most people just put up with it, don't they? I think I think the majority of people do, especially if they get a taste of something else and see that. Wait a minute, there really are substantial alternatives here. And yeah. then, if, if you give it time, it's like if I had to go recently and install Windows for someone, step them through the process, and the whole time I'm thinking to myself, "This is ridiculous." I mean, <laughs> when you get used to distro hopping and you can have an, a brand new, fresh OS up and running in 12 minutes or less. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's exactly. Like, if you've got a, if you've got a decent flash drive to install it from, um, and a, a decent internet connection and an SSD, you can be installed and updated and have all your applications in under half an hour for most distros. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with Windows, you're looking at hours to days by the time you've done all the Windows updates. I mean, that that is one of the key things about Win uh, about Linux for me, is how easy it is to do updates and how transparent that is. Um, especially if you get comfortable with the command line. I mean, I'm, I've been using Ubuntu for, well, not Ubuntu, Zubuntu with XFCE for the longest time. Um, and just with AppGet update, AppGet dist upgrade, you can just see exactly what's happening. What, you know, this is what's going to happen. Do you want to do it or not? Yes. And then you see you, if you were so inclined, you could read everything that's happening. Whereas with Windows and with uh, Mac OS, it's just completely trans uh, opaque. Sorry, it's just totally opaque. You just have no clue what's happening, how long it's going to take, and all the rest of it. Um, and that's that's why 
that's one of the main reasons that I can't stand Windows really is the because security updates to me are such a hugely important factor. I mean, with any software, if you if you don't stay up to date, then that's where the vulnerabilities come from. You're right. No, you're, you're exactly right. And I always dreaded clicking on the update button because you don't know mm. if it's going to be 30 minutes. You don't know if it's going to be an hour and 30 minutes. Well, I was going to yeah. say that they have the, the cute circle that goes around, tells you that it'll be updated in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and then having it restart your computer, which I think they're going to stop doing now. But, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that um, you can say all these bad things about Windows, and it's a it, very easy target. But... The thing about Linux is that we've got so many great platforms, right? We've got, whether you like Ubuntu or Fedora, or if you like something a bit more cutting edge, like Arch or Solus, there's, there's the platform, the OS available that, for anyone. And all the, the desktop environments, some people love Unity, some people like LXDE, whatever, KDE, GNOME, whatever. But the, the problem is, and I think that it's a seriously major problem, is the software that's available. Yeah, there's loads of great open source software and there's even some proprietary stuff available. But in terms of professionals, I mean, I've, I've heard people talking about uh, more about the move from Mac OS to Linux and how we, uh, Apple dropped the ball with these um, MacBooks with only having 16 gigs of RAM and, uh, you know, stuff like that. But right. the fact is that without the, the big software titles, without Pro Tools, without Avid, without Photoshop, after effects all of the the professional software linux on the desktop is not going to take off in the professional space and and for me that's the only place where the desktop is relevant really you've got offices which i think it is mostly possible to have linux running there um munich is uh kind of um what's the word for it a test case where they did some things wrong but if all you need is a web browser and an email client and, and sometimes not even that if you're using webmail, um, and, and be able to do some spreadsheets and stuff like that, then it is feasible to do that with, within Linux. But if you are a creative professional, then, yeah, okay, there's Ardor and there's GIMP and there's stuff like that, but right. if you are trained and, and pro- well-practiced at Photoshop or Avid or something like that, then there's not a chance that you're going to be able to move over. And so you're stuck in this proprietary um, OS be it Windows or Mac OS. And so, I, I wish I had some answers. I really wish I had some answers, but, you know, I don't. I, I, I don't suppose you guys do either. No, we don't. We talk about it. I mean, you know, that's part of our discussion is what does it take? And that's one of the things in, in our discussion is we feel like, Rocco and I kind of agree on this, the more people you have using Linux, GNU Linux, uh, the more people involved there, I think, the better, because then you're you're starting to get, hopefully, a look at some of the uh, higher-end pieces of software that, like you said, primarily artistic people are using, you know, whether it's Adobe products or, um, you know, going down the list there. They're not going to look until they see, I think, a larger user base and the potential for, it. of course, it goes back to the dollar, uh, the potential. Yeah added income you know follow the money but isn't the problem now that we've missed the boat with with linux on the desktop because the desktop itself is um is a a seriously shrinking market and it's all about mobile um and there are there's no way that the the desktop will go away forever because you're going to have professionals using it but um it's the you haven't got the the home user 
market to prop up the professional market um, or, or you're getting less and less of that market. Less of that. Good point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And you're seeing a dumbing down of just operating systems in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, you take a look at what Android has done from the tablet and let's think about how many people out there use their tablet as their primary device or use their phone, as you said, as their primary device and do pretty much everything that they would do on a desktop. Well, yeah, that's a funny question that people ask me. Um, what is, what's your main, what distro do you run on your main computer? Um, Lineage OS is the, is the answer to that <laughs> because my, my main computer is here. You know, this, this is my main computer. It's yeah. it, now, you know, having a 5.5 inch screen means that it can be your main computer basically. And I, I only really these days um, turn on the laptop or I've got a desktop as well um for either you know watching media or doing podcasting really and and sometimes even watching media i watch on my phone you know it's it's only really um if i'm watching stuff with my wife really together watching the movie or whatever and so i think that i'm not unique am i in that my phone is my primary computing device i'm nope. i'm very normal in that respect and and even even though i'm relatively clued up tech-wise and running Linux and stuff on the laptops that I do use and the desktop. I just think that trying to chase this market is a fool's errand, really, because the, the, so few people are interested. I mean, I used to have a sideline in um, fixing computers for people, and I certainly used to be the, the go-to person whenever any of my friends or friends of friends had a, you know problems with Windows or whatever. And these days, I see very little of that. Very few people actually bother i mean you guys must be in a similar position you're you you guys are techie enough you must be the ones that people used to come to whereas now they've got ipads or android tablets or, or phones and you know they, I, I hate to be such a doom and gloom merchant because there you know there is still a place for linux um you know gnu slash linux on the desktop and i'm happily using it but i just i think that you've got to be realistic in your um uh, your goals of how many people are going to actually be using it you know what? The, what your statement there, everything you just said is really accurate, and it's kind of an eye opener for me because it's easy to get tunnel vision in this yeah. stuff, you know? and because we're so focused on what's going on with Linux and the desktop, uh, you're, we're not looking much beyond that. But you're right, and and like you, I'm well. Actually, I'm running CyanogenMod because the latest uh, Lineage OS is not working with my Note three very well right now. Well, it's not working with mine. Um, I only just upgraded recently, and I'm not very impressed. It's random reboots and stuff. I'm not not very yep. happy, to be honest. So I'm I'm back on CM13, but you're exactly right. Primarily, day in, day out, if I say which one am I spending the most time with, it's CyanogenMod. Yeah, know? although, ironically, um, you are probably spending more time with Linux than you were before if you're using a phone because almost all of the services that you're connecting to are using Linux on the back end. And in terms of servers and, and cloud and all that, all right. those buzzwords, that is all run by Linux or all, almost all run by Linux. It's all behind the scenes, Linux, that the average person has no clue that yeah. they're using Linux. Yeah, I mean, billions of people a day probably use Linux without knowing it. Anyone yep. who goes to do a Google search is using Linux. Yep. So, Joe, we have, you know, here in America, we have people that really, a lot of people don't care about 
anything you know to do with Linux. Um, <clears throat> the all they care about is if if they can read their email, if they can you know watch Netflix or whatever. So, do you find it different in the UK or in other countries that people it's more accepted with Linux or it's more known because a lot of the development goes on in other countries? Um, in my experience, not really. Um, when I speak to Spanish people, they have often heard of Linux. For some reason, it's big down there. I'm not sure why, um, but it's bigger. But certainly in the UK, it's very uncommon for me to meet someone who knows what Linux is even, basically. Um, never mind to have actually knowingly used it. So I, th I get the feeling that it's similar to in the US, really. Um, I'm not sure about the rest of Europe. I mean, I, I suppose in Germany, um, it's uh, where I've been. It's similar to the UK. It's it's very, it you know, um, as you were talking about, Rob, you've got the tunnel vision, and you think that every, because we're in this bubble where we all use Linux, you think that everyone else does. But the the reality is that, you know, uh, it's it's funny. I was um, where was I? I, was, I think I was in a train station or an airport or something, looking around at these thousands of people around me and just thinking almost every one of these people uses windows. Yeah. And it just, it was just a weird thought to me, but like it's, if you had never used Linux, that would, you would never even think about that. But yeah, like these people use windows and probably hate it. And I just probably don't even know that there's a, an alternative because they, you know, even with phones as well, the idea of flashing Cyanogen mod or lineage is it's just totally alien to people it, you buy a computer or a device you know it, it's like um my washing machine i wouldn't think to flash new firmware on that would i and, and that's how most people <laughs> see a computer today a you phone. probably could yeah you <laughs> probably could. Yeah. yeah right or your friend well, i'd like to on my washing machine it's um mm -hmm. it just it flashes random lights at me sometimes i'd like to put some <laughs> proper arm source software on there so so um i i wanted i was curious are you uh into next cloud and that kind of thing running your own cloud um and and completely free of say google or anything in no because google's just works so well I, I really should be and i should hate google but drive works really well um especially doing podcasting with show notes and stuff collaborative editing is just yep. so so good in drive that that it's just kept me on there and gmail is so convenient yeah i i do run a, a, a mail server but in all honesty it just forwards everything to gmail because that just deals with it it deals with all the spam it, it just it has it on every device um and in terms of um on cloud and next cloud I've, I've tried it out many times for linux luddites but just never it, it always felt just half finished to me really and I, I always used to i mean where are we now i think we're at 11 or 12 or something we, we when we were looking at it on linux Lardites, it was kind of um seven eight nine and i always used to joke that it felt more like uh 0 0.7 0 0.8 0 0.9 <laughs> it just didn't feel finished to me and I, I haven't tried it out for a while um but i don't really have the use case for it because i i'm just terrible with backups basically it's the honest truth i have a desktop with a lot of storage in it I just chuck everything on that and anything truly important I put on some external drives and it's just a chaotic mess basically like if you could see the desk in front of me you'd you'd realize why everything in my life is a chaotic mess basically <laughs> um 
and uh, you know i've tried I've, I've got a raspberry pi that i have running and and stuff but um i i just i've never quite found a, a good solution for me that's simple and and works and is totally risk-free because right. I, I i always worry about syncing um that it's a two-way street and i know yes i could use scripts to just push it up one way but i i i, I worry about things that sync that uh, if something goes wrong the other end and it syncs back down to this end and i've totally lost everything so um yeah that's a very long way of saying no basically i'm uh... <laughs> well i'm curious because recently more recently i've been reading about setting that up and everything that you need to you know have in place to make it work effectively i was checking to make sure that the appropriate apps were available in the play store to you know to sync everything but at the end of the day what i realized um is it's not all there, not like, and I use G suite for business. Right. And, and so like you said, the last thing I want to happen is I'm five States away and locally at home, something happens, the power goes out or something. Yeah. And now I can't access my stuff. Yeah. I can't take that chance. But the idea behind setting up my own and being free from Google, even it's appealing. But at this point in my life, there's just not enough time to, to get it all worked out and then have the hassles with it. You know, you got to move on to something else. There's always something else, you know, and it's, it's, it, especially when it comes to business, you can't be down, you know? For yeah. Me. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, what, what I would say to that is um, I found DigitalOcean to be very, very good. And, you know, for as little as, you know, five bucks a month for a, a basic rig, which is going to be way faster than any sort of Raspberry Pi or anything like that. You, you've got a server, um, that you've got complete control over it's it's as if it's a local box basically oh um, nice and so you can install whatever distro uh, well not quite whatever distro they've got a lot of them but i mean they've i they've got ubuntu 16.04 which is what i would use basically um i think they've even got free bst if you're into that and so you can just spin up this this rig um in any of their data centers around the world um they've got a few in uh, the us i think and then you you can either buy a domain and point it at it or just use the IP address or whatever. And you can have all your next cloud and, and whatever you want running on there. And so that's probably the route I would go really. I mean, you kind of then, instead of trusting Google, you trust in DigitalOcean with your data, right. but, um, but then again, do, do you trust these professional companies more than you trust yourself? I mean, as you say, if you're out on the road, five States away, there are so many things that you can worry about with your home, connection i mean my router router as you would say yeah. often needs to be rebooted and if i'm not here to physically do that then uh i can't access my data so for whatever reason and my internet goes down whereas if you've got it in a proper data center like DigitalOcean, i mean there are other cloud providers i mean godaddy as well um right. you know I, I i was looking through some of my old tweets and i saw um GoDaddy, uh, well, you know that DigitalOcean are onto something good when GoDaddy are, are doing a carbon copy of their product. It's the same pricing model and everything, or it was. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like you're, there's only one option here, but it's something like that, if, at least if it's out on the internet somewhere, um, you've got less control, but you're putting control into the hands of professionals whose job it is to keep that up and running for you. Um, and that's a huge piece of it, actually. So that's, that's, a, that's a great thought, actually. Because that yeah. is that's that's the, that was kind of the main thing at the end of the day is I'm ra trying to rationalize it. You know, I don't know about you, but mentally I'm going through this process 
of weighing the pros and cons, trying to figure out, is this worth the time? Yeah. Is this worth the effort and the cost that may be incurred, you know, by setting up a separate box and that kind of thing. But that's a terrific solution. Yeah. I mean, for five bucks a year, it's, you know, what that's a small price to pay for <laughs> the freedom. But then, what I was also going to say is that there's no reason you can't do it at the same time, is there? You can still use Google and stuff, but then you can also be using Nextcloud and, and testing it out. I mean, it would be nice to be able to switch to one and just have less complication, but at least for a while to test it out, maybe. That's what I would suggest to people. But the other side of that coin is something you mentioned because I agree with you on it. Google does such a blasted good job of it. Yeah. Uh, we, we use Keep. Uh, Rocco and I use Keep for our show notes. Mm. And, you know, we share back and forth and it's updated instantly. And, I mean, there are so many things. And the way it's tied together and, and they're putting more emphasis on that now, especially on the enterprise side uh, with little bits and pieces, tying everything, calendar together with keep and drive together with calendar. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, and Gmail as well. I get emails for my appointments that I need to do to, to remind yep. me, stuff like that. It's, it's all so perfectly integrated and it's all so perfectly evil, isn't it? They just, they've got all of your data, <laughs> yes. you know. They they just they're storing and mining all of this data, and you know I mean I suppose you could argue that with the the business stuff where you're paying a few bucks a month for it, um, you you are buy, buying a product. But if, certainly for the free stuff, that, that that old adage of if it's free, you're the product. But right. yeah, you're, I, si- you're sitting in the airport and you get the pop up that tells you your flight's going to board within. 25 minutes and yep. then you get another pop-up that says you have time to get Starbucks right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the cost that you pay, isn't it? And you've got to, with everything in life, you've got to ba- have a balance of um, convenience versus security and, and privacy and stuff like that. And I don't know, for me, Google, I, I do get this overwhelming feeling that they are really, really evil, but, it's just so convenient for me and I'm just too lazy. I've got too much. I'm trying to enjoy my life too much to spend all the time trying to replace Google services. And I know people who have done it successfully and running their own mail servers and all the rest of it, but it is such a hassle to do that. I mean, try running your own mail server, even on a digital ocean box. Um, I mean, try doing it at home. Forget about it. You're going to be blacklisted, you know, Um, but try even in a data center, you're going to come across problems. Um, we we had problems uh, replying to AOL messages, for example. That was it's a jump through hoops to, um, you know, to to not have those emails bounce. Um, to be fair, actually, I did have that with Gmail once. I was trying to um, for work. I was trying to email someone, and um, I, I t- tried asking about it on Twitter and said, you know, is anyone else experiencing problems with AOL? And everyone was like, what? Hey, well, what is this, 1997 or whatever? <laughs> and I was like, well, it's not my fault that my clients use the same email address for 20-odd years, you know. Right. So, no. <clears throat> but, yeah, it, trying to run your own mail server anyway, is, um, it can be very problematic. Yeah. And um, if you just put your trust in other people, then it, you, you've got to decide who you're putting your trust in. And at the moment, I'm fully committed to Google, and I know how foolish that is potentially because of the, their tendency to shut down products. But I, the, the products that I use from Google, I can't see them shutting down. Right. Um, Gmail and Drive mostly. 
I, I just can't see them shutting those down. It's more the kind of new. If they, if ever they come out with something new, you'd be a fool to jump on with it. Basically, um, well, they're trying right now, Joe, to figure out what they want to be in the chat world. Be it Allo, be it Hangouts, yeah. be it on and on and on. You know, yeah, they've messages. Yeah, times. Yeah, it's messenger. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Staying along those lines, what's your opinion on Vault 7 and all of the CIA stuff along with Google and vulnerabilities? I really don't know what to make of it is the honest answer because when Snowden first came out with it, with his first set of um, revelations, um, it, it's about the mass surveillance stuff. That confirmed a lot of conspiracy theories um, and I, I love a conspiracy theory. I'm not saying I believe them all, but um, it's the, the great yarns I find. Um, and it, it seemed to confirm that what we all basically knew was happening. And it, it just totally normalized that fact, didn't it? That now most normal people have just accepted it as well. We knew it was happening anyway, whatever. It doesn't really affect right. me. I've got nothing to hide. Why should I worry? That typical fallacy. Um, and now with these uh, effectively the CIA using zero days to um, compromise people's machines, be it um, well, all of the major platforms, as far as WikiLeaks are concerned. Um, that again is something that I had long since suspected. Uh, I'd basically known. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not news that government agencies buy um, zero days from uh effectively black hat um researchers you know these researchers find these zero days and then they're traded as a commodity um and that that wasn't new so i'm not i don't see why it was such a huge surprise that the cia had either found or bought a whole load of these um zero day vulnerabilities and was actively using them against targets so it, it just so on the one hand, it, it confirms what I already thought was happening. But on the other hand, um, I, I really don't know what to make of WikiLeaks and Assange and all that because of the Russian connection. And um, there are those who say that WikiLeaks is effectively a branch of the KGB. Um, and, you know, without getting too political, I, I just don't know what to think about it. But from from a technical perspective, it, it's it's not news to me. It's not a surprise. And... But those documents are fairly old now, and a lot of the um, a lot of the vulnerabilities have been patched. But at the same time, here we are. What about it was about three, four years ago, wasn't it? That these documents come from. You know, there's going to be a whole load more vulnerabilities that they've got hold of and are actively using. So even if um, WikiLeaks, who said they were going to deal with the the companies with Apple and Google and Microsoft, etc., to, to patch these things, even if they don't do that does it really matter because they they they're a few years behind anyway and so the cia are all and and probably other government agencies uh not only in the us but around the world that are going to constantly have these these zero days and to me it, it goes to a much much deeper um problem and that the problem is something that we talked about a lot on luddites and something that paddy has drummed into my head and that is the problem of churn, software churn. This idea, um, this axiom that we have to have constant innovation, constant improvements, constant development on things. And the idea that we can't just get to a stage where things are finished, 
there is no such thing as finished software. And it's, it's just accepted that there will be software bugs. Whereas if you look at the software that um, put men on the moon, that didn't have bugs because they made sure it didn't have bugs because they spent years and years and years making sure, going through every single line of code, every single character of code, making sure there were no missed semicolons or square brackets or whatever, you know. Uh, whereas now they, there's this culture of throw it together as quickly as possible and innovate, innovate, innovate at the cost of bugs. And and there are developers who've, who've spoken to me about this and, and written into shows I've been on and said that's impossible. But I, I, I question this axiom of whether or not there needs to be this constant improvement and yeah okay new hardware comes out but i mean that's kind of the same thing I, i've got a laptop that's like three or four years old and it's doing the job for me do we really need new hardware i mean that's capitalism for you and right. again we could get get into politics if you want about it but it, I, I just think that if the world was a bit more zen about things um constant this constant desire for improvement is what actually leads to uh, vulnerabilities and, and issues and problems whereas if we had more of a zen approach of what we've got now is great let's um you know let's make it stable and stuff um uh, but there's no way that's going to happen i mean software developers have to justify their jobs and so they are constantly developing new stuff it would be very boring for them and for most people if they said, okay, right, take Android, for example. Let's make that good rather than adding more and more new features into it. Let's make it not crash so often. Let's you know, make it totally 100% secure. Let's audit this code and make sure that there are no zero days for the CIA to find and or buy. And And people say that's impossible, but if people can find the vulnerabilities and sell them, then people making the software could potentially find it and fix it. And But instead, they're too busy writing new features and shiny, shiny new stuff, basically. Well, Joe, I think it's, it's, it's also it's a product of what's happened, at least here in the U.S., perhaps same thing in the U.K., where we're in a world now where everybody wants something and they want it now. Yep, and they yep. want something new six months later and they want it now. And if you get yourself caught up into that, if you're developing a product or you're building a product or you're, uh, you know, releasing a piece of software and you get caught up in that, it's got to be new, it's got to be now, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. And you just take a look at the phone manufacturers. You know, you remember back in the days, well, you may be too young for this, but I had one of the, the original candy bar Nokia phones that you could throw across the street and you know, bash it up against a brick wall and go pick the thing up and make a call with it. And it was, you know, it lasted. I do, I do question that. Um, I, I am old enough, as it happens, to have had um, one of those old Nokia phones. Well, several of them. Um, and I suppose they were fairly hard-wearing. But um, the, this, this meme that the 3310 is indestructible and stuff, I, I, I take issue with that. It's, you know, it is just a plastic phone. But the bigger point being is you didn't see these releases every six months to make the news waves. And what are you doing now? Well, we're adding dual cameras. Okay. Is that better than what you had with the single camera and why you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, yeah. it's always got to be churning just as you said. And, and I think everyone's caught up in that. 
Um, yeah, and what's what's driven the phone market's churn is um, effectively consumer credit because very, I don't know about you guys. I bought my phone. It's a OnePlus phone. You you can get it on credit, but the the standard way to buy a phone uh, is to buy it on credit or on contract, as we call it here. And so people don't even really realize, I think, most of the time that that's what they're actually doing. They they pay. 50 pounds a month or whatever for service and get a free phone or get a heavily discounted phone. But the reality is they're buying that on what we call higher purchase where you you effectively like, like leasing a car or a mortgage on a house, you know, it is, it's debt. You're, you're basically becoming indebted to the phone carrier and then paying that back over two years. And if we had a situation where people didn't take on that debt if they just bought phones outright and realized that the new Samsung phone is $800 or the new iPhone is $1,000, I think people would think twice about it, but they don't see it that way. They think about it more as $50 a month or whatever it is, $70 a month. And, and, when you, and, yeah, what, and what that situation leads to new phones being bought all the time. And this idea that a phone is only going to last you um, – 18 months maximum really or you know maybe 20 months um and then you're going to upgrade and that drives the phone market forward and that's what they want they want to sell new hardware they want to mine all of these heavy metals which destroys the environment and then after two years your phone is just thrown away well it's not thrown away straight away it usually sits in a drawer somewhere for another 10 years and then gets thrown into landfill and pollutes the water table and all of the rest of it that goes with that and there are initiatives like Fairphone and stuff, but it's it's so expensive to do that that it puts most people off. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of phones, I've got a question for you. How would you feel about Plasma 5 Mobile, you know, being able to install an OS for your phone that's running Plasma 5? I have tried it. I'm uh, a Nexus 5 that was kindly donated to me. And um, I, what, I, what I like about Plasma Mobile is the honesty and and what i dislike about ubuntu phone is the dishonesty um or the the ambition with plasma mobile they make no claims that it is a consumer ready product and so as that's how i view it and i think that it's got some good I mean, it's been a while since i looked at it to be fair but when i last looked at it i thought it had some good ideas um and it's got good potential, but it is nowhere near ready. I mean, it is nowhere near ready. It's alpha quality, basically. Um, uh, whereas Ubuntu phone, uh, again, it's got some good ideas. I like the fact that it's basically a GNU slash Linux box. I can SSH into it. I can do whatever I want with it. But um, it's similar to the, the problem with Linux on the desktop. There are very few applications, very few native applications available for it. And the web browser is not good enough, in my opinion, to warrant having all these web apps and to actually use web apps all the time. And and, and so, yeah, Plasma, for me, is um, it, it is what they say it is. It's a work in progress. But I think without millions of dollars investment in it, it's, it's never going to catch up with where we are with iOS and Android. Um, and it's a controversial thing here. iOS, I think, is a very, very good operating system. I've only tested it 
briefly on other people's devices. And I've got a very old iPhone 4 that was my friend thought was dead, but I managed to resurrect. Um, so I've, I've tried it out a little bit. Um, and it, that is a really solid operating system. And to try and compete with that, I mean, I think Android is lagging behind in, in terms of stability and stuff, in terms of features and customizations and w- freedom to do what I want with it. That's why I use Android. And price is a factor to some extent, but the fact that I can flash custom ROMs and and install whatever I want and have my own custom launcher and all that kind of stuff. And if I wanted to write my own software for it, I could run it on it. That's all the the good stuff about Android. And that can be applied to these other mobile operating systems like Plasma Mobile and Ubuntu Phone. But um, if you look at iOS and then you look at these new upstarts, the gulf is just unbelievable and if you if you see the gulf is like this then i'm holding my hands up for the audio listeners and if you um as time goes on as they attempt to catch up the um ios and android are running away from them and so that gap is very very hard to close because you've got i mean uh, you've got so many years now of um just dominance i suppose and and so many years of development and, um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, people might be surprised about me saying such good things about iOS. It's horrible proprietary software, and that's the, the main reason that I don't want to use it. Android is getting that way um, in terms of proprietary, um, you know, Google moving as much as they can, as much as they can over to proprietary blobs within it. Um, but yeah, com- compared to the, the, the actual market leaders... Uh, the other offerings are basically a joke to most people. If you're an open source, open source enthusiast, then you, you can try and be forgiving. But in terms of an actual product, they haven't got a chance. Uh, well, a prime example of that, of why they don't have a chance, is let's take a look at Windows Mobile. With all the money and all of the marketing and everything that Microsoft put into Windows Mobile, and it's still at like 2.3% market share. Yeah, which is strange because here comes another surprise for me. From the testing that I have done of other people's devices very briefly, I have found Windows Phone, certainly 8, to be very, very good. It's a very solid platform. It's it's not buggy. It does the things that it's supposed to do extremely well. Anybody um, want coffee? <laughs> I've got water, thanks. <laughs> um but, I'm glad that's the sound I was hearing there, Rocco. Yeah, that's that what it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. But um, you're right. I had a but, five, but yeah, I had a Nokia. Yeah. Right. And it's the lack of apps, I think, is is the main problem there. Yeah. I yeah, had but a I Nokia think the... with minimal spec uh, minimal spec hardware. It was the Nokia five thirty because I bought it really on a whim because it was so cheap. And yeah. I wanted to check out the operating system. And that little thing was fast and fluid, and and um, it had, like yeah. you said, it had everything you need. But you're right, the lack of apps and everything. Yeah, third-party apps is the main problem, and that's what cripples a lot of systems because we're so far down this road of, if you make a mobile app now, if you're a mobile developer, then there are only two choices to, you know, of platform: yeah. iOS and Android. Yeah. Yeah, but I think part of that has to go back to what you said about the money too. These the open source community, the uh, they don't have the millions of dollars that Apple has, that you know Google yeah. has to develop and continue developing the operating system. So I think that's part of it. 
We see that all the time, though. We see it in Linux where we find this app and we're like, man, this is phenomenal. This this tool right here is better than anything I've used on any platform. And it's like crickets to the rest of the world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the mobile situation, yeah, it, it's the the money. But but then Microsoft have proved that, you know, they're not short of a few quid, are they? And they've uh, <laughs> failed. So... <laughs> So I, that's not really a, a good enough argument because they're the, the poster child for mobile failure, aren't they? Really? Yeah. Well, I, I just think that's part of it. That's all. Because yeah, I, comes I think back it, is, it is part of it. And if you could, um, if you could work with the, the big, mo- I mean, in this country at least, one of the big um, mobile apps is WhatsApp, for example, Messenger. Um, I prefer Telegram, but I have to have both because in order to communicate with people for work and, and stuff like that. Um, and if that, in order to get that ported over, it's going to take a lot of money. Someone is going to have to pay for that. And it's either going to be WhatsApp or Facebook who owns it, or um, it's going to be the, the, the company or organization making the, the mobile platform. And they only have so much money. And Canonical tried to, to dump a lot of money into Ubuntu phone. And, and now it feels like it's dead. Um, I don't know to what extent it's going to come back with snaps and stuff, but it, it does feel pretty much dead to me. Um, and it, it, they just don't have enough money. Shuttleworth has got pretty deep pockets from selling the certificate business years ago, but they're only so deep and he can only plow so much money into it before it, he has to cut his losses. And it feels to me, from the outside, I might be completely wrong that that's pretty much what he has done now, cut his losses with it. And we've seen it with Firefox OS. Um, Tizen and Sailfish are kind of just about clinging to life, but it it just seems to be an impenetrable market to me, the, the mobile market. And I, I feel like I've just come on your show and had nothing but doom and gloom for you. But um, <laughs> it's... It just is it's how I see it. I mean, yeah, you can be glass half full and say that we, we're making strides and we've got millions of people using Linux and, and millions of people using um, uh, open-ish versions of Android. And that is good, but there are billions of people in the world, not millions. Well, well I mean, no. I think it's both. I mean, I think you need perspective. Uh, you know, it's great yeah. to talk about how Linux is growing and everything, but... You still have to have the perspective that what are we what are we at depending on who you talk to four percent five percent that's like nothing that's compared bit, to the full uh, numbers. <laughs> so I mean three, that's three nothing. Three at best, I would say. Well, and that's what makes late night Linux cool because you've got a, a nice group of educated people who have some real perspective, real world perspective. Let's say, you know, yeah. you're, not, you're not on there promoting something; you're on there, you know, talking about it for real. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's something that we're always keen to do on Luddites as well as late night Linux. That um, to be realistic, because if you're going to advocate something, you can't just do it blindly, and um, that that's the difference between evangelism and advocacy. I think that if you just blindly have faith in this thing that it's p- perfect in every way, then people aren't going to really take you seriously. If you if you say that it's this amazing thing, then they try it and say, well, no, it's not really then they're not going to take you seriously. And if, you, if you're generally quite down on things and quite negative about things, when something positive comes along, then people will take you much more seriously. I mean, Maru is a great example of that because we, you can't have um, 
miss the fact that Ubuntu phone is all about convergence, right? So it's about having one device where you um, use it as a phone and then you plug it into peripherals and you've got a desktop computer. That, that was always the dream of it. Oh, yeah. Maru OS is a ROM that I think is still just available for the Nexus 5. I'm not sure whether it, it's been ported to other ones, um, which is just based on um, AOSP, so just the open source Android. And so you flash it onto the phone, and it's just standard Android, basically, without the Google apps. You can flash Google apps if you want, and it's just ostensibly just a normal Android phone. But then you plug in the right cable to it, um, the, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it to make it HDMI. I bought one; it worked for a few months and then just died, and that's why I haven't been able to um, check it out. It was quite expensive, but anyway. Um, and then you get a Debian desktop with XFCE, um, which is running containerized within Android, sharing the kernel, um, but then containerized, I think. Um, and I was able with that to, in Android, shoot a video of myself just saying, this is me doing a quick test of uh, whatever, uh, and then plugged it in, installed OpenShot um, and GIMP, made some title cards, edited it together, very short videos, standard definition, nothing too fancy, rendered it, uploaded it to YouTube, and then tweeted about it, all from the phone, wow. which, which I found really, really impressive. Um, and there's just one guy working on it, or there was. Uh, as I say, I'm a bit out of touch because my cable died, and so I don't want to sicken myself by reading too much about <laughs> what I can't. I could buy another one, but it was, it was really expensive, that cable. I bought it from eBay, so oh, I okay. should have bought it from Amazon. But that's a, that's a different story, my hatred of Amazon. Kind of along <laughs> the same vein, uh, have you spent any time with uh, Jide's Remix OS? <laughs> have I spent any time? I was, uh, I've got a Remix Mini. So do um, I. Well, I had one. I gave it away. Right. I, mine was in a drawer for a while, but I decided to dig it out and, and have a, a play with it. Um, my wife's been away, and um, I thought, well, she, it's mostly her desktop, and we've only got this one big screen, 27-inch screen, 1080p. Um, and so that's the only screen it works on, because my, my other monitor is um, the old 4.3 one. It's a, quite a oh, nice yeah. Dell um, 19, I think, which is absolutely fine for most things, but the, the Remix Mini just only works on widescreen displays. So I don't get much chance to play with it. So I thought I'll, I'll dig it out and I'll use that um, for watching iPlayer and stuff like that while she's away. And um, I think it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's got a lot of potential. I mean, I don't like the fact that uh, typical Android OEM, they've abandoned it on Android 5 point whatever, Meanwhile, the x86 version has been updated to um, 6 and possibly even 7 now. I don't know. Um, so I don't like the fact that they've abandoned it. You do get some security updates for it. Um, and they they had to remove the Google apps and they've bundled some bloatware with it now and stuff. But I think as a principle, so, yeah, what we're talking about is desktop Android, aren't we? It's, it's Android, but it has a proper desktop. You've got a taskbar, you've got a start menu, um you've got windowed applications and and for for that it is good and it has improved i think over the um over the couple of years how how long did you back the kickstarter i i did not but uh i purchased the first remix mini so the gen one or whatever i think there's a new remix mini out now maybe. yeah well that's the the they've got one that is uh more for tvs rather than because yeah. the, the first one was marketed as a desktop, and I backed the, the Kickstarter for that. Um, 
almost purchased one of their tablets uh, early at. Oh early yeah, that was on. before, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't see how it would work a desktop on a tablet. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, no, I'm glad, but I th- in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Android as a desktop, um, it, it Google are kind of introducing more and more of those features, aren't they? They um, it's creeping in with the windowed um, applications and stuff. But the what we need to solve is how you get applications which are designed for touch to work well in a, a, a you know with a mouse basically and right. android is uh, for the longest time has supported a mouse if you connect a bluetooth mouse to your phone you'll get a cursor and you can point and click at stuff um but um it's within the individual applications that's where you, i have my my issues really that it's there are certain gestures with touch which don't work with a mouse. They're very awkward with a mouse. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, the, the whole thing is at the moment a bit of a novelty. Um, but on the Remix Mini, you've now got TV mode, so you could hook up some sort of Bluetooth remote or something to it um, and have a, more of a big picture type mode on it. There's something about it I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for it almost as if they're an underdog or something because... They're almost there in a lot of areas, like with the File Explorer. It works perfectly fine with mouse and keyboard. Yeah. Um, and then there are a few apps that work okay in desktop mode. Um, my biggest problem I had with it was with my monitor. It, it wasn't supporting a proper resolution, and so everything was overly large and fuzzy. And I never, uh-huh. could, you know, never could get past that, and wasn't willing to invest in trying to make that better. But uh, I just almost, and, and probably everyone's going to scoff at this, but I, I would almost like to see a merging of, say, Remix OS with a proper Linux somehow and pull in access to those Android apps, somehow melting that together. And maybe that falls back to what you were saying earlier is because desktop for what you and you and I, we all know it for, that's that's losing favor and people are looking at Chrome OS. People are looking at well, all I was going to say, you've got uh, what you've described there is a, a mixture of Linux and Android and that's Chrome OS, isn't it? That's Chrome OS somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that on the, the later Chromebooks, not on my old C720, um, but on the, any new Chromebooks that you buy, you can run Android apps. Right. Um, although it doesn't, they don't work very well apparently, but um they're, they're, they're certainly pushing it in that direction, that convergence of um, Chrome OS and Android. But I, I don't know. Google are kind of famous for having a few different um, products that do the same job, aren't they? Like with the messaging, right. they've got Hangouts and Allo and, uh, you know, all these others. Um, I think there are even a couple more, aren't they? There's, um, uh, is Allo the text one? And what's the video one? Yeah, there's Allo and yeah, there's Duo. Duo, yes. Yeah, Duo. yeah, and Hangouts. Um, yeah, they 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 like to have they like to hedge their bets. I think I think it's a big enough company that they've got different departments working on things and not necessarily communicating. It's a bit kind of a bit like the Linux ecosystem, why we've got ten video editors and none of them are very good. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it presents problems for sure. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure whether Android is going to go that way or not, whether Android is going to be um, converged as the, uh, in the Ubuntu sense of it. 
because I, I just, I'm not sure that people want that. I think that people are happy with the status quo. They're happy with their phones and to a much lesser extent tablets. Um, and I'm just not convinced that there's much more than a niche market for desktop Android, really. Yeah. But I'm, I, I might be wrong. No, but it's but for me it's fun, and and we're the we're the people who we want to see it, we want to try it, hobbyists yeah. or whatever you want to call us. You know, I think you're always going to have that. You're going to have a percentage of the population that's just curious. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we distro hop just because we want to distro hop. You know, it's there's fun. nothing there. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Although not on my main machine, I must say. Right. No, I can attest to that. Distro hopping is not fun on your main machine. Trust me. No, I, I went through a period of that, but then I, I've managed to um, acquire donated laptops, basically, with, <laughs> when people have upgraded or whatever. And I said, yeah, I'll have that. And so my main test one is a Core 2 Duo Vio, Sony Vio, that I've put an SSD in and stuff. And, and that is just fair game for anything that I can throw at it bit you know windows if i do any windows testing it tends to be on that um and uh, yeah it's it's a good feeling to know that if i totally hose it it doesn't matter you know Um, i can still i can plug in my other laptop and uh be talking to you guys basically so we are two kde guys you run oh what do you run uh i i'm xfce all the way basically um i've i've tried out every desktop going um and plasma uh well kde i used to hate i I just used to really in the kde four days it was just a nightmare kde5 now as that has progressed we won't fault you for being wrong (laughs) i I won't fault you for being wrong but um every time i've tried kde5 it seems to get better and better um but it to me um i just really really like xfc because it's it's no nonsense, especially now they've added the whisker menu. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Oh before. yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, it yeah. is a de- a definitely a good menu. Ain't no question about yeah. that. Yeah, and so now you've got that, um, and you've had that for years now. It's uh, and XFCE. It, it kind of goes back to that Zen thing I was talking about. The XFCE works, and okay, it's kind of stuck on GTK two, and that's uh, going to be a potential big issue soon. But for the last. 10 years it hasn't really changed much at all they've, they've not felt the need to add loads of features to it beyond the whisker menu which was something that was lacking but otherwise it just works fine why do i need new shiny stuff in it i don't really um and and plasma i think uh, is good and can be configured to be either way you can have loads of ridiculous animations and shiny stuff or you can turn all that stuff off, which is what I do, and make it essentially the same as XFCE. And then at that point, I'm thinking, why not just use what I'm used to, basically? Right. But um, but if I, I can see serious problems for XFCE and um, GTK two, and and this needing to transition to three, basically. Um, and at that point, probably Mate is what I would use, um, which is is close enough. But I moved away from Gnome two to XFCE in the first place because GNOME 2 was too heavy for me, uh, for my P4 machine that I was running it on. That's yeah. why I ended up with XFCE all, all those years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, G- uh, GTK, I don't know if you guys are aware of uh, how the development of how GTK is, but it is um, 
a, a word that I can't say on your show, um, beginning with <laughs> beginning with cluster, because it uh, it just the the way they have their stable and it's just so confusing. And if you are a developer, um, Ike has talked about it with um, Budgie. Uh, it, it, they just keep breaking stuff, basically. Right. Um, whereas Qt seems like a, a more solid base on which to build your environment basically and so i can see why plasma is uh less prone to breakage well that's a question that i have is they have to know that everything breaks when they update this stuff so what is the thought process in their minds of i mean does it do they not care or i mean like what is the thought process there on their end i really wish i knew you should get someone on to talk talk about it you should ask them directly because i honestly don't know what they I mean, I always say developers going to develop. You know, they developers are going to justify their salary. They are going to develop, and if that means breaking things, then that means breaking things. Because they, I can only imagine it. The thought process is something along the lines of, "We want to do X. That's going to break Y. Oh well, we'll break Y and we'll fix it later." You know, and I think that if you are the, the GTK developers are so concentrating on GNOME Shell that anything else that uses gtk they're not um no maybe it's unfair to say they don't care but it's it's not a priority for them maybe yeah well ike he didn't hold back in you know what was going on there and the troubles it's caused him mm. and you see if you see a continuation of that uh maybe it works itself out but it's just going to be a painful process yeah well i mean that's why he's moving over to cute for budget um yeah. Which and and LXCE now is dead, uh, and is well not quite dead yet, but gonna. It's moribund is the word for it. About to die, um, and it's moving over to LXQ now, and that that is slowly developing. Um, so it seems like maybe KDE w- was the right horse to back in the long term. If you don't like Chrome, um, tr- using something that uses the the underlying technologies of Chrome probably isn't a good idea and xfce i I really do worry about this gtk3 and 4 situation because they they haven't ported it to gtk3 and i've spoken to martin wimpress about how he has been instrumental and and the team for mate have um ported it all over to gtk3 now and with this latest release it is pure gtk3 um they're going to have to do the same thing for GTK4. And I know how much work it was, or he's told me it was a hell of a lot of work to make it work um, with GTK3. And that I, I worry that the XFCE team is too small to do that. Um, uh, well, too, and, you would, you're talking about a, you use XFCE because of it being stable and because it doesn't need all the, the shiny new stuff. So it would yeah. take them a huge amount of time, let alone effort, but a huge, amount, a huge yeah. amount of time to switch it over, and yeah. all all of that would there would be bumps in the road and where it wouldn't work the way. It, so they're almost locked into two. Yeah, and it, not to mention the um, moving over to Wayland, which oh, I, yeah. I can't imagine GTK two is going to work well with Wayland, basically, yeah. um, and that is the way that we are inevitably moving. And so you're going to get a situation where you've got um, System D and Wayland. And the the older distros are going to be stuck, uh, you know, the ones that didn't adopt System D and the ones that are sticking with X 
uh, eventually are not going to be able to work with modern applications because as you get further versions of Firefox and all, all the rest of it, Chromium, you're going to end up in a situation where your only choice really is to use these newer distros um, on newer hardware as well, which I suppose you just have to accept really um, because I've heard good things about Wayland, but I've never really properly tested it. But I hear good things about fixing screen tearing and stuff like that. So I, I eagerly await a, a time where I can watch full screen videos on YouTube or iPlayer and not have screen tearing. That would be nice. And if <laughs> yes, if it takes Wayland, then... And, and uh, maybe, Joe, that LXQ is an option for you in the future then. Potentially, although I, there's something about Qt which I don't like, and I wish I could put my finger on it. I don't know if it's default theming or, or what it is, but there's just something about the look of it which I don't like. And um, I hope that when I am essentially forced that down that route, that I will be able to um, theme it, it more like GTK desktops that I'm used to. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, d- I don't know really. It's I, I like LXDE. Um, and to me, LXQ just seems to be taking LXDE and making it worse you know I, I just no worse is the wrong word but making it bad i suppose because i, I really like lxte um but as i said lxte appears to be moribund and uh, we'll see if the raspberry pi foundation forks it and makes pixel an actual thing rather than just a theme a late 90s theme as i like to say <laughs> a late 90s theme exactly but the beauty is on the positive side of things we've got enough choice out there so if yeah. you're, you know, you're not locked in. It's not like, oh, well, you know, like uh, if you were uh, avid Windows users and along comes Windows 8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were things you could do to some extent. And I mean, Windows is a relatively, uh, this, how can I put this without getting uh, a lot of f- flames from people? But it's a relatively open platform in as far as you can install whatever you want. So you can download an right. EXE or build an EXE and install it yourself. Or MSI, or whatever. Menus. Yeah, start menus. They were. There's a company. I can't think of the company now, but you basically it brought back the start menu. The yeah, uh, yeah, um, start menu. Yeah. Well, so I'm... you you're not totally trapped there, but yeah, choice for for Linux. That is what makes it so good. And you're. I'm not stuck with XFCE. I've. I could install any any of the distros and get on with things. I'd be far happier to use. I'd be far happier to use um, KDE Neon than I would Windows, put it that way. Or even Unity, you know, full-blown Unity Ubuntu. I'd much rather now use you're that going too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the no. point, isn't it? That I would rather use something that I really don't like than Windows. That's how much I dislike Windows. But at the same time, um, I don't have to use Unity, do I? I've got all this choice, and I, I happen to think that Ubuntu as a base distro is the best that I've tried. It, it, it's not the lightest. It's not the fastest. Um, it doesn't have all the software. It's not the most up-to-date. But it, the, the Ubuntu LTS as a base, to me, plus some PPAs, is the, the best experience that I've had with Linux. Um, and then on top of that, I like XFCE or maybe LXD if it's low-end hardware or, or Plasma or whatever. But, you know, that's, that's the way I see it. And I'm sure that plenty of people disagree with me. And I'll say, great. Whatever is the best for you, use it. If you want Arch, excellent. Good luck to you. Uh, not for me, thanks. Yep. 
Now that's what we always talk about is whatever works for you, whether it's whether it's free software, whether it's paid software, whether it's Windows or whether it's Linux, whatever works for you, that's what you should be using. Well, yeah, exactly. There's no point trying to demonize people for using um, proprietary software like the FSF tries to do. Um, if people can have a productive life, um, a friend of mine uses a Mac to uh, do post-production sound engineering and he uses Pro Tools and that's how he earns his living. And I'm not going to demonize him for doing that if he's happy to use it. And there are plenty of Windows users. I, I know someone who happily uses Windows and, and uh, as part of her job and that's what she makes a living with and she's happy. So I'm not going to say, oh, you should definitely use Linux and all the rest of it. it you, you've got to just use whatever you want. And, and as advocates, we've got to say, look, this, these are the good things about Linux, security, speed, whatever, um, freedom, um, and, and offer that. And, and if, if people, um, if people want, to, want to hear about it, it's, it's like the, the classic sort of vegetarian thing. You know, you, you're going to know someone's a vegetarian within five minutes of talking to them. You're going to know someone's a Linux user within five minutes of talking to them. You know, if people start complaining about their computer, that's the time to say, well, did you know I use this other thing and it solves the problem X, Y, and Z that you've just told me. And I happen you know, to have a flash than... drive in my pocket here that we could. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. R- rather than like, um, you know, c- can we take five minutes to talk about Linux? You know, it's, you're never going to convert people that way. No. <laughs> well, I have a question for you going back to uh, gaming. So you're not right. a gamer and that's exactly nope. why I want to ask you this question. Um, okay. We, there, the latest, one of the latest articles coming out is star citizen is right. a crowdfunded project and it's going to go Vulcan only. And right. what is your take? I think that is something that could start the snowball of Bigger tech companies, bigger game companies, planning Linux support out of the box, Vulkan support, which will allow more games to come to Linux, which will eventually allow more users to come to Win- to Linux. Because that's why I dual boot Windows. I have Windows 10 on another drive, and I have it for one reason, and that's only to game. Because he Battlefield uses One, notepad. he uses Notepad on Windows. Don't let him lie to you. <laughs> well, Battlefield One won't play on Linux, and until it does, uh, you know, I'll have that Windows Ten drive. So, what do you think? Does that start the ball rolling? Hopefully, is all I can say. And Steam as well, hopefully, is going to make it work. But until uh, until you can get major titles. On, on Linux and, and running as well as Windows, if not better, then people are not going to use it. That's my cat, Linus, crying. I think he wants me to feed him. Um, uh, nice name. <laughs> yeah, well, we, could, we couldn't think of a name for him. Um, and we were going back and forth. I said, right, he's called Linus, and that's it. Right. My wife was like, okay, fair enough. Well, uh, I asked you because you're not a gamer. And, yeah. you know, I want that objective you know opinion on because like i said i am a gamer so i'm excited to see something like this come out but yeah i need an objective opinion on whether or not that am i overshooting it am i over overthinking it or overzealous well i don't know i mean i i know some gamers um and i've tried to convert them to linux and said that you've you've got steam um and you know not they're not looking for triple a titles but it just seems that if it just comes down to a very basic thing. 
if the games that you want to play are either not available or don't run as well, then you're not going to use Linux. And so whatever it takes to make it so that they are available and work well, that's got to happen before gaming on Linux is becomes serious. And it, it looked like with Windows 8 and um, Microsoft moving to this App Store model, uh, that that is my understanding is that is why Valve um, started down this SteamOS road, basically. Um, uh, but then Windows 10 came out and that was still relatively free, as I talked about the freedom to install whatever you want. And they stopped worrying about that. And that's why SteamOS hasn't become you know, it, it becomes the mainstream. It's not what they care about. Yes, you've got a lot more games available for SteamOS and therefore for Linux. Um, and with the Vulkan thing, if, if, they, if the game developers can actually use that, um, you know, as the, the underlying technologies for the games, then to, to run them properly, rather than porting them over to Linux, right. then, you know, that's, that's what you need to happen. And... Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking way above my pay grade here because I, don't, I really know very little about gaming. But if it, it seems to me that that has got to happen, you know, and if, if it takes a few high-profile um, games and, and Kickstarters or whatever to, to get that ball rolling, then fingers crossed on it, basically. But um, it's, it's all about the bottom line, isn't it? If, if it's cheaper to do it the old-fashioned way with DirectX and stuff, then... Um, they're going to do that. The, the well, that's why, that's why Vulcan's so exciting because it allows the developers to make the underlying technology and have it work out of the box with Linux so you don't have to port it over. So like this crowdfunding project, it, it says here in this Pharonics article that it's the most crowdfunding project ever with $39 million pledged. That's a lot but of money it, to pledge. Is it going to be more expensive to, to do it in the first place uh, with Vulcan, I don't know. I mean, if if you are, if you've got a team of developers that are used to doing it the old-fashioned way, and then you say, right, you've got to, this this next version of it, GTA six or seven or whatever the next one is. Um, I suppose that's a bad example because it's more console-based, but whatever, you know, a, a big first-person shooter or something. If you right. are, if all of your team are used to doing it the old-fashioned way, then you're going to either have to retrain them or more likely hire new people to do to use new technologies. Um, and I, I, I suppose it, it, it really comes down to the bottom line, doesn't it? Um, if, if, it is, if it's not going to cost them any more, then it makes sense because why not make it easily portable to other platforms like Linux? Sorry, yeah. he's running, it, my cat's running riot now. He's, uh, <laughs> he's had enough of me. Well, we're, <laughs> we're, we're coming up on the half hour anyway. And uh, listen, I could... I could talk with you for another hour easily because we're all passionate and we're all into you know, Linux and our whole discussion. So uh, how, how do people reach out to you? And also, if you don't mind, what's, do you have any uh, insight to uh, the next Late Night Linux podcast? What's coming up there? Uh, we're recording that in uh, four and a half hours, actually. Um, <laughs> this is a warm-up for you then. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that we were doing it when I agreed to do today. Uh, uh, whether Phelan was, uh, 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 might not be uh, joining us. I'm not sure. I think he might be. Um, not much news actually. Um, more discussion coming up on this one. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much. We might be talking no, no. a bit about um, uh, Google and AMP, you know, accelerated mobile pages and, and what that means for publishers. And uh, it's good, good news for consumers, potentially. Is it good news for publishers? That's, uh, we, we might talk about that. But the thing with late-night Linux is that we have a load of stuff in a document, and then we just kind of work our way through it. And if we decide, uh, maybe we'd rather talk about that, that's the beauty of editing. We can kind of pause for a second and say, shall we do that or shall we do that? And then I cut that bit out. And it still right. seems like we, we didn't um, do it or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you want to find me anyway, latenightlinux.com uh, is, is the Linux podcast. If you want me, then um, joeres.com has got links to most stuff. I need to update my about page on that. But um, that's J-O-E-R-E-S-S.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter as well, Joe Ressington. I want more. I always want more Twitter followers. I think I'm up to like 500 now or something. Well, I got to jump uh, over there. I'm not a big Twitter user. I'll, I'll post something every now and then, but, um, but yeah, I'll jump over and follow for sure. Yeah. That's my main social network of choice really, because it's just so easy. It's so short. You don't have to put too much thought into it. Just the odd little link right. or odd thought or whatever. But, um, what about Google plus? Are you active on Google plus? I am on Google plus. I wouldn't, I lurk it more than post, to be honest. Uh, I used okay. to kind of cross-post, but um, I don't do that much, really. Um, I use it mo- mostly just to... Um, I, I kind of comment on other people's um, status. I don't know what you'd call it on Google+. Plus, um, But I, I tend to not post too much on there. But, um, yeah, you can follow me on there or whatever it is. I, I, I can never know. It used to be just circles, and now you can follow people. It's, Google+, Plus is a bit of a mystery to me the way the notifications yeah. work as well it's all it's like yeah. it's still finding itself yes yeah but i think it's going to get to a point where it does find itself and then it um google will shut it down um, <laughs> probably but people keep talking about that and I, I i can't help but feel that um that's why i've not invested too much into it to be honest because i yeah. although twitter again is not profitable unless someone like google buys it that might go away so uh Right. I don't know. Be stuck with Facebook. <laughs> I will tell. Oh my goodness. Don't say that. <laughs> I know. I know. I am well, actually thank- on Facebook, but uh, I don't use it much, but sorry, carry on. No, but thank you so much for your time. And uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and look forward to the next late night Linux podcast. So, uh, and this will yeah. make it even more fun now that we've got to chat and everything. So we appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's great to kind of meet you guys face to face. Yeah. And good to be on the show. Keep up yeah, we'll definitely, work. we'll definitely have to have you back on, Joe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Thanks.